ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Here we are, June the 2nd. Could the Saints be making a move soon? We'll see, man. Post June 1st, uh, let, let's start. Ralph Malbro, let me introduce my next guest, who needs no introduction, but I got to do it anyway. Mm. The, uh, the host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Uh, he and Juge and Dave and Kevin do a great job with it. Uh, I was honored to be part of the big show this past week. Uh, if you haven't heard their latest podcast from Monday uh, or Sunday night slash Monday Memorial Day, check it out. Download it via uh, all your available podcast platforms. Ralph also, Saints writer for WWLTV.com, appears on WWLTV during football season for some weird reason, and he joins me now here in June. It's never a bad time to talk Saints football, right, Ralph? <laughs> It's never. I just wanted to let the people know Scott saved me because Andrew and Dave went on their bougie vacations wherever the heck they go, and they text me Saturday night. They're like, we don't think our internets are going to work. So you're on your own. I'm like, dude, Kevin may or may not go. I got I to gotta have somebody on this podcast with me. So I texted Scott at like, Saturday, like 11 o'clock, and Scott was like, sure, I'll do it. I'm like, thank you, God. Because it, me, me and Thomas in Poland just arguing with each other, nobody wants to hear that. So I really appreciate you saving me at the last minute. People I was, need to know you're doing good works out in the public, Scott. It was fun. It was, it was a good time. And, you know, one of the things we kind of harped on was, uh, I guess, I, I don't know. I feel like we're somewhat sympathetic to Andrews Pete because – this guy's, you know, been to a couple of Pro Bowls, but like I, I, I think we were both in agreement, Ralph, that there was, at this point, God bless him, there's nothing he can do that's gonna like get like haters, like Saints fans that don't like the guy. By the way, Saints fans that root for the team that don't like him, I just I don't know that there's anything he can do that's gonna get them to flip. And this is a guy that, you know, in the run game, in the screen game, I mean, he's. He can do some really good things, but it's, it's been well-documented, right? His mistakes are magnified times 10. He was drafted in the first round, so he's graded with a curve. He had to go to a different position because he couldn't play the original one good enough. I mean, there are a lot of things that everyone seems to just point to the negatives as opposed to the positives. Plus, he got a big contract. So it's like a double curve that I don't know what he could do Honestly, like he could be the best guard in football this year. And I think, I think a lot of Saints fans would still be like, oh, whatever, just get rid of him. Well, the thing is with offensive linemen, like they're, they're in like the worst possible position, right? Because like say Alvin Kamara, right? He could play amazing for eight weeks and like lead the league in catches and yards and have like 12 touchdowns through eight weeks. And in the ninth week, he could fumble twice and have a horrible game, drop a third down pass, and we'd be like, ah, he was terrible today. But he leads the league in rushing, and he's got 12 touchdowns. He's averaging five and a half yards a carry. He won us that, he won us that game against Green Bay with the two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. So you have like these concrete memories of like offensive and defensive players, right? Where you can, you can, you sort of give them leeway for bad performance. Offensive lineman, Pete could be the best guard for 10 straight weeks, have the highest grade in PFF in the history of known football analytics. He gives up a sack to Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston fumbles 
and get shaken up a little bit, people will just be like, I hate Andres Pete. And none of the first 10 weeks will matter in the slightest. And that's just like the life of an offensive lineman, right? We just, they're mistakes we remember. You never remember like a great, rarely do you remember like a great play by an offensive lineman. It's just, it's I, just so the nature of it, right? You're not, you're not wrong, but, I mean, you're right. But like, you got to admit, with Andres Pete, it's like a different level. Like, when Armstead has a bad game, no one's like, oh, man, forget that guy. Like, if Ramchek gets beat, no one's like, everyone's like, it's all right. I mean, hey, it's got to happen at some point, right? Oh, well, you know, Teron, I mean, he's he's out there playing hurt. I mean, I guess Armstead gets That's a little right. bit of flack. But, like, with Pete, it's just it's on it's just on another level. Maybe it's the, it's the first round. Maybe it's the contract. Whatever it is, the mistake's being magnified. But, like... He's he is like the old lineman that's in the the in terms of like fan judgment. He gets off like on a bad foot to begin with by everything you describe. But for some reason with him, and it's not fair. And I'm not I'm not saying that the guy's not prone to a giant mistake here or there because he is. And I'm not saying that Coach Payton didn't call him out publicly last year after a string of three bad games in a row. He did. I'm just saying the the online disdain from quote, Saints fans for the guy does not equal his performance on the field, in my opinion. He's a hard match. It's really, you know, other players in the, in the let's just keep it to like the Sean Payton era, because if you go too far back, people in this show, like the, the, Ralph, this old guy, he's talking about players in the 90s. I, I wasn't even born yet, right? But like players in the Sean Payton era that we just loathe, you know, we had reasons to, like, Brandon Browner, he was a corner, and he was old and terrible. Jason David, who I personally liked because even though he struggled, he never ducked the media and always, like, answered the questions, and I always had admired about him, that about him, but he was kind of terrible. Fred Thomas, even though he was good, at the end, Saints fans hated him because he played, tried to play with the broken wrist in Chicago, and he struggled, and he got old. But, like, the vitriol for Pete – He's hard to find a comparable player because most of the players that Saints fans hated, like we had a reason to hate them, a good reason, because they were terrible. And they struggled Bird, every yeah. single week. Pete is like, he's an above average guard. Like maybe they overpaid him because they got put in the corner and they didn't want to go backwards during Drew Brees' last year on the offensive line and they didn't have any other good options at guard. So they, got, they had to overpay him a little. But he's not a bad player, and the vitriol Saints fans have for him is just amazing. I mean, he tweeted out just like an innocuous tweet of like, hey, uh, where am I on this list of the top 32 guards? Right, right. Saints fans dragged him. And by the way, he's right. Andres Pete 100% is a top 32 guard in the NFL. Right. Don't tell me. And he's not like he fluctuates like Pete some weeks he could be top 10 some weeks he's like bottom 10 but like don't tell me that that guy isn't isn't like a top 15 guard in the NFL I, I refuse to acknowledge that so for those that don't know what Ralph's referencing uh last week pro football focus put out a, a ranking of the top 32 guards in the NFL ahead of next season and Pete wasn't on it, and he quote tweeted it with like the eye emo the eyes emoji, and then like the cry crying laugh emoji. And you know, if if a player on another team did that, you feel like the you know a player a multi. Let's say this: if a multi-time Pro Bowler on another team did that, the fans would attack Pro Football Focus for him 
Pete does it, and they're just they're you know they're all just clowning him and teasing him. It's like it's just it's really it's really like I, I, I we've re- we've mentioned all the reasons why, and yet I still feel like it's a bit it's a bit over the top. Now, having said that, you know. I, you know, use the word hate. I know you mean in terms of, like, sports and not, like, actual hatred of human. I get that. But, like, fandom will cause you to just dislike a player for, for ridiculous reasons. But that's just part of, that's just part of fandom. That's what it is. It, it, you, can, you can be the old guy here if you, Ralph, if you want to here, Ralph. Like, who's a, a Saints player? Because I know you've rooted for the Saints your whole life that you just you had an irrational dislike for either as a kid as an adult at some point you're just like i just i can't it just drives me crazy bobby a bear i hated him god i hated him so much i i when i was a kid they didn't have analytics right you didn't have the ways we look at offense now. So all you had was basically you could read the Times Picayune and you could listen to the postgame show. Uh-huh. And the, and Carl Smith for the Saints got all the blame. And he was like, he's terrible. He could call better plays. And me as a kid, I was always like, man, this offense, Bobby Abner is terrible. He throws interceptions all the time. If we, they turn the ball over too much, they can't run the ball, and they're terrible. And, and I blamed him for most of their, like, playoff failures, and I'm, like, on an island. Like, people my age or older, they love the cannon. Like, he gets absolved in a way that infuriates me over those playoff losses. Like, Philadelphia and Atlanta are both on him. Sorry. I can go – I can – quoted chapter and verse of his horribleness in the second half against Philly. The pick he threw against Atlanta when they were up and about to go up two scores, and they'd have crushed Chris Miller and the Falcons in 1981. Like, I loathe Bobby Hebert as a child, and I loathe him kind of now. Like, I blame him most for the playoff failures, not more not Carl Smith. And I know I'm on an island that I'm not Scott. I know people are probably screaming at your radio right now. You're not look. It would be good if I fired back at you. <laughs> It'd make for good radio. But like, I can't because I remember like, first of all, that Philadelphia game in the playoffs. I mean, he just, uh, the, the, the fourth quarter, his performance, it was just awful. Just awful. And, a couple of things with Bear. One, and this is going back to fandom as a kid, right? It's a little different now that I'm older and I interact with, you know, athletes and stuff a little bit and coaches. And it's, it's definitely more humanizing in a way that it wasn't when you're just a kid. And you're, like you said, you're watching on TV and all you get is like the newspaper articles and, you know, the radio postgame show. But like Bear, like taking on the Saints in, in, and the NFL in the court system, um, challenging the NFL's free agent system to try to get more money, which is, you know what, props to him for that. But let me tell you something. You hear folks say, man, 10 years ago, fans didn't side as much with the players and holdouts as they do now. Let me tell you something. 30 years ago, this wasn't even, no one would even consider siding with a player. Like, you know, like you didn't think, oh, well, the owners have this money. You're like, oh, he wants more. Like, so that that one, like he he kind of, bailed on the team whenever they, they could have had a good team for a time. Then he came back. Then he stunk it up in the playoffs. Then he left. Then he went to Atlanta and played good there 
and came back and like just, you know, beats him in the regular season. And there were reports of him flipping the bird to the fan and all this stuff. Like that's what I remembered about a bear. And then I was, you know, you and I met years ago when we were working at intercom. And I remember when Bobby got there and it's different when you're older and you, it's a person. And like, I know his son, T Bob and stuff. So it's very different now. Right. Like I don't, I don't hate Bobby a bear or anything, but man, let me tell you something. In the early '90s, when I was a kid and a Saints fan, uh-uh. And I remember when I remember my mom when I was like, "Yeah, they just hired a bear. I'm going to be producing his show a little bit." She's like, "Oh, ask him. Tell him about that time he flipped him off. Tell him about this." Like she's like, she got all angry. Like this was years later, you know. She's like, "Make sure you tell him this stuff." And I kind of mentioned it in passing, and he really didn't. He didn't care, you know. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't care yeah. at all. And and I don't even think he remembered. Like it went in one ear, out the other. But uh, but no, man, he was a guy. Like I don't. Like I. I couldn't. You know, just by nature, like cornerbacks are going to be guys that are set up to like. Unless you get a ton of interceptions and and like Sammy Knight would never. Sammy Knight's one of the most beloved players in 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 Saints history, but he was like always around the ball and he got beat sometimes, but because he like made a bunch of memorable plays, right. When he get beat, you'd be like, okay, it's all right. Right. But corner, and he was a safety, but cornerback, man, unless you like reeling a lot of picks, you can just, you, you just get lambasted. Like it's hard to be a fan favorite on a team and be a cornerback like Jalen Ramsey. That's rare. Most cornerbacks in the NFL aren't selling a lot of jerseys. And and I know Lattimore is, is is a popular player with the Saints, but I mean you see it, Ralph. He has like one bad game and it's like, what's he doing? Why can't he wake up? Why can't he do this? Well, it's the old Bomani Jones theory, and I hundred percent agree with it. He says every NFL fan base has a corner that their fans just hated. And Bomani Jones, even though he's, he says he's not a Falcon fan anymore, he's like Charles Toast Dimery. That guy gave up five touchdowns to Jerry Rice. And, like, I, I believe that, like, if you, if you went to some rant, but the Lions fan or whatever, they'd be like, oh, that guy. I, that guy got roasted all the time. Because corner, it just it encapsulates when, – when your defense is bad, your corners are the ones that we see – taking the beating right you may be bad against the run or whatever struggle but when your defense is bad like the corners the end product is always you're giving up a touchdown and it's mostly a corner getting roasted so that that makes perfect sense i mean think of all the things corners we you can talk to any saints fan of any age and they'll be like johnny poe toy cook toy cook like we hate them all because they just the memories are not good. No, no. And then the Saints <laughs> had to play, you know, Jerry Rice in his prime so many times. It was like you're just it's a battle you're not gonna win. Uh and, and look, Patrick Robinson is a guy that Saints fans are not like he's a he is not in that uh he, he's not in Pete territory, but he's on that side of the fence. And if he has to start this year at his age, and, you know, a former first-rounder left. They he came back. They paid him. You know, it's not like they have a lot of good – they don't remember him picking off Vic for a pick six on Monday Night Football, you know, however many years ago it was, and taking it from one end zone to the other in a rough season. I think, you know, the Saints were 7-9 that year. But, no, they, they remember him getting burnt. They remember this. And if he's starting opposite Lattimore this year, which I guess leads me to the next question, Ralph – you know, here we are, June 2nd. Saints can maybe make a few more moves because the cap shifts to the following year, and they still got to sign draft picks. They still have work they got to do. 
But are they signing a corner here? I know Richard Sherman gets a lot of the focus. Like, they got to bring in another corner, right? I think so. But the thing is, at corner, these corners, Richard Sherman, Norman, whoever, the best play for them, Scott, is to wait until August. And then if you have a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl, right? Like, let's say Aaron Rodgers kisses and makes up with Green Bay, or he's in camp, and Green Bay loses a corner, or the Rams, Jalen Ramsey gets injured, and he's out four to six weeks. Then the Richard Shermans, the Josh Normans, the, ne- the Steve Nelsons, then they, their leverage goes up, right? And they can say to a team, hey, you need a corner for six weeks. Pay me $5 million. And a team like the Rams who's all in and mortgage their future will be like, okay, because we need a corner for six weeks or whatever. Right now, they have no leverage. So Richard Sherman, like if he signs with the Saints, it'll be peanuts, right? But I, I will say this about the Saints. If they sign Richard Sherman, which will be the funniest thing, is if they would have signed Richard Sherman in like March, we would have lost our minds. We'd have been like, you are signing this 900-year-old corner to play opposite Lattimore. This is a disaster. Why are you doing this? This is Brandon. This is literally Brandon Browner 2.0. It's the Legion of Boom uh, in the retirement home, and we'd have hated it, right? But now they drafted uh, Paulson Adebo. We're feeling better about corner. They sign Richard Sherman. We'll love it because <laughs> we're kind of desperate, right? So if they do it in the middle of June, we'll be like, yeah, we got a Richard Sherman added depth. So I just find it hysterical that the that the date that they sign Richard Sherman will color our opinion of the move completely. And I'm for signing Richard Sherman, by the way, it's fine. But if they'd have done it in March, I think 99% of Saints fans would have hated it. ESPN 1420. It's interesting. The timing of things like Jared Cook's a little different, but ESPN 1420, by the way, Ralph Malbro from the Saints happy hour podcast, our guest, like when they signed Jared Cook, it was late in the game, and mm-hmm. the thought was they desperately need a pass-catching tight end in a big way. Desperately need it. Watson's retired. You've got this window. You you know you you got screwed in the in the in the NFC Championship game last season, and Josh Hill had gotten knocked out, and 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 Watson couldn't play because what was it like an appendix or something crazy? So you really need a tight end. You got to fix this up. And they ended up signing Cook, and it was kind of late in free agency. But there was, I think there was more of a sense of, like, thank God relief than if they had signed him right at the gate, there would have been a little bit of, okay, good, they shored that up. But it just, the feeling is very different. Now, Cook's an interesting case study because, as it turns out, you know, I think one of the listeners of your podcast tweeted at us, like, Cook's a guy that fans kind of irrationally beat up a lot. And... He was, uh, you know, and, and after the 2019 season, he was in the Pro Bowl. And after last season, he was the guy that dropped that pass, that were the guy that fumbled when, you know, the Saints were ahead in the playoff game against Bucks, had all the momentum and had just gotten a first down and were looking to go up, you know, by multiple possessions. It's kind of like you remember the last thing they did or the last couple of things they did but I got the sense that like a lot of fans were never totally in on Cook. And and I get like the ending and that fumble was was absolutely brutal. But why do you feel like it quickly went from because and, and I say that because you're right. If they signed Richard Sherman like really late for, you know, a a veteran minimum, it's gonna be like, oh man, good thing. 
Whereas had they signed him early on in free agency for only a couple of mil, it would have been, what are they doing? Like for, but point is, they could sign Sherman late for a veteran minimum or something a little bit above it. Fans could get excited, and then when the season starts, if he struggles, it, it'll turn really quick. I mean, it turned, it turned pretty quick for Cook, and even though he had some, some good games, or if he get knocked out of a game, fans would say they really missed him. It just seemed like any time he made a mistake, man, the fan base was just on him more than they would be if, you know, Thomas dropped the ball or Emmanuel Sanders or something like that. Well, thing is, Cook, his hands were so inconsistent, and it took him a while to get going. And it's the fumble against Tampa aside, and this is totally not on him. It was, it, it happened, and it, it had nothing to do with him. It's just a really bad luck. But that game against San Francisco in 2019, oh. they San Francisco literally they had no answer for him. And they were the best defensive football. And he was burning them to the ground. And he got concussed and got knocked out. And I know, as fans, we don't – I think subconsciously – or consciously, you know, you can't hold the injury against a guy. That happens. It was bad break, whatever. But there's something in the back of your mind that, like, you remember it and you shouldn't hold it against him, but you do – and I think that's a big. That was a big part. You combine that with the fumble in the playoff game, and it just makes this concoction of hatred. That for Cook is really, it's really, it's it's sort of unfair. But then again, like if you fail in a big moment, like that's just who you are. Like you just got to wear the goat label forever. You know, um, with Cook, I will say he scored a lot of touchdowns and. I get that it's May and we like to be irrational about positivity <laughs> and talk ourselves into things. But the Adam Troutman hype, like that guy caught like four passes, I think. And so people it's, are yeah. running the same gif of him over and over and over again. We're talking ourselves into him. Like it's hard to replace what Jared Cook gave the Saints the last two years. It really is. Like I know Sean Payton can scheme guys open and this and that, but it eventually comes down to players. And I think Cook is one of those those hidden things where we may look up in middle of October and be like, my God, our tight ends are terrible. Yeah. Well, it's not just that, Ralph. It's like Josh Hill, too. I'm, I'm seeing all this hype for Trout, but I'm like, good Lord. Like, he cannot do all of those things. And if the thing is, if he catches a lot of passes, fans will like him. But, like, they've they've – tight end is kind of, to me – probably the most overlooked position of need on this team right now. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And it'll be it, the thing. The, the one thing that gives me hope is like Sean Payton, he took Ben Watson and when everybody thought he was washed and got a career year out of him, he got 50 catches out of Bill, Billy Miller. If you want to go way, way back, he got Mr. Jessica Simpson, 55 catches. Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. Yes. Right. So like he like Sean Payton has has proven that he can take uh you know a tight end and t- turn water into wine. So like that gives me a little bit of hope, but I do think they're like tr- they if Troutman doesn't succeed or gets hurt, they are in a world of trouble at tight end. ESPN1420.com great stuff Ralph Malbro our guest here a couple more minutes with him on this Wednesday, early June. Expect some Saints news coming up. 
I would say, you know, in the next week or so with uh, with the league year resetting and, and some of the things the Saints have to do, whether it be sign their rookie class, among other things. But, you know, I looking at the Saints salary cap, the fact that it gets increased to $208.2 million in 2022, that's what the ceiling's going to be. Um, you know, Cam Jordan's set to count like 23 against the, the cap, the – you know, next season, and Andrus Pete's gonna bring in Pete back into the mix. It's gonna jump up to like over fifteen mil, and Kamara's gonna be fifteen, and Malcolm Jenkins and Demario Davis double digit cap numbers next year. Like even with the cap rising, I think there's still gonna be some of those those tough cuts they have to make this year. But I want to ask you a question as we wrap it up that you asked me on your podcast. Come the trade deadline, being that. Mickey Loomis is often, hey, we'll worry about next year, next year. We'll worry about, you know, those cap numbers when we get to it. Right now, we just got to focus on winning. Do you think Loomis, as you put it, will be uh, reckless with a trade or some kind of salary or picks or something around the deadline because, hey, you know what? Uh, it's it's going to keep our cap where we can still manage it and we're going to, you know, try to win this whole thing. Like, what what does the cap in your mind do, the $208.2 million number? What's going on in Mickey Loomis's mind right now in terms of how he's going to approach that? Well, remember, though, remember the thing they did with Kawan Alexander where, like, San Francisco and the Saints, like, redid it to where, like, he had a massive cap hit going into this year, but it really was, like, funny money, and the Saints could just cut him and, and clear the space, right? I'm going to tell y'all, if the Saints are in contention, they're doing something. And and the, the, the only question will be what they will do and how aggressive they will be. And, Scott, if it comes down to where it's like 2018, for example, where in 2018 the Saints, after the Baltimore game, they realize, they're like, look, we have a fatal flaw at number two corner. The rest of this roster – the rest of this roster is a Super Bowl winning roster, right? So they looked at it as we have to get a corner, and they went and got Eli Apple, and it worked out pretty well. No call. We won't get into that. The thing that I'm saying is, if they get in, if you get into the season and they're like four and two or five and one or whatever, but you look at this team and you're like, if they get a second corner or if they're like, if there's like one fatal flaw that keeps keeps killing them or is not necessarily costing them games, but you can see it, and it's one fatal flaw, I 100% believe they'll go out and do something. Because here's the thing, Scott. They're going to have an extra third from Fontenot. They might have an extra – they might have three thirds. Hendrickson, the projections rate him as a fourth-round pick, but it might be a third. So you might have three thirds or two-thirds and two-fourths. Like, the Saints will be able to go out and do something at, at the trade deadline if they want. The key is, I think, for them to be, as I like to say, YOLO and mega aggressive, it has to be a clear, obvious fix. It can't be a thing where they're like, say they're like three and three, and you're like, well, they need a number two corner because Debo's playing bad. They need offensive line help. Troutman's kind of terrible. Like if it's a bunch of things at the trade deadline, then I think it becomes less likely. But if it's just like we need insert position here 
to possibly go deep in the NFC playoffs, they will 100% do it. Scott, Mickey Loomis, he's been doing in-season deals before Sean Payton. He went out and got Mike McKenzie back in, like, what was it, 2003? Yeah, 04. Traded for him. Yeah. They traded for him and gave him a giant extension. Like, uh they like that's what Mickey Loomis is. That's what he does. Like that's not a that's not a Sean Payton come along and made him aggressive. Like Mickey Loomis has always been this way. Yeah, I, he's gonna do something. Now, the one thing I'll I'll disagree with you with on is this: as we wrap it up, you said if they have a fatal flaw, they'll address it. Um, if quarterback is the fatal flaw, I don't think they'll be able to address that at the trade. Well, no, right? that like that's if quarterback's the fatal flaw, though, they're probably they're done. Best. 500 probably below at, at best no yeah if, if 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 they don't you know i mean the, the the biggest question heading into the season obviously is winston hill you know i i we all assume winston will start but it's just like if if that works then expect the saints to be ultra aggressive and expect them to be fun if that doesn't work it's going to be a long season and if it's if it's average okay it might be it might be fun but if it's just bad it's going to be it's going to be kind of a wake up call you know like okay last 15 years were fun uh this is going to suck i mean so much of it just hinges on the guy taking the snaps and if they can stay healthy and play well and if it's Jameis uh, and Taysom's you know kind of in that that Taysom Hill Swiss army knife role for lack of better terms i know that gets overused uh, then it's going to be a fun season. But really, uh, we can break down the roster and the what-ifs, and we will, and it's fun, and, and I'll be listening to your podcast as you guys do it. At the end of the day, so much of the season, I would venture to say the majority of the season, it all hinges on quarterback play because if that's not right, then everything else can just be a moot point because you see that in the NFL. Unless you have like the best defense of the league – and an average quarterback, you know, if your defense is average and your quarterback's bad, you're going to be, you know, drafting in the top eight of the draft next year. I think the Saints defense is okay, although they lost a lot. We have serious concerns about the number two corner, but you've got players there. For me, got to get the quarterback. Like, if, if, that, if that works, it's going to be a really fun year, Ralph. And you're right. Maybe they, they, they're going to go over the projected, I guess, Vegas has them at nine and a half wins. They, maybe they get over that. Um, betting wise, right, with a thirty-five to one to win the Super Bowl, I don't, I don't think they're going to win it. But my point is, those numbers change a lot and improve a lot if they actually get good quarterback play. As we wrap it up, sell me on why quarterback play could actually be good next year because I'm not as sold as so many others are that it's just going to be all you know, peaches and cream with Jameis and Taysom Hill. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried about that spot. Well. I don't necessarily think it's going to be all uh, peaches and cream and, and, and awesome, but I'll pitch, I'll pitch you on this. I'm 100% convinced it's going to be interesting and fun, and here's why. Even if Jameis doesn't improve one iota, he has proven that he can run white hot as the sun and super cold so you will have stretches where he'll be for three or four weeks probably where we'll be like, give that man $200 million in the deed to Bourbon Street, and then there'll be, a, there'll be two or three weeks where we'll be like, get rid of him. I don't want him on my team. I don't want him on my TV. Send him away. But like, even if it's that, like that's still interesting and fun, right? 
So I, I'm I'm convinced that like the Saints, they're not going to be. They might end up being they made seven, eight, nine wins or what, and inconsistent. But they're not going to end up like New England was last year, where New England basically they couldn't throw the ball because Cam was broken, Stenham was terrible, and they didn't have Brady anymore. Right? They just they couldn't throw the ball. Like their passing offense was abysmal. The Saints aren't going to be that. They'll be. It, it, the, the, to me, the worst case scenario, they'll be like the 2004 Saints with Aaron Brooks and Jim Hazlitt, where the quarterback play will be tremendous and then terrible and then mediocre, and you won't know week to week what you're going to get. And that was the thing. Remember with Hazlitt, it was how they were going to look. And I think that is how they were going to look. And I think that is the sort of scenario, if it doesn't go well, it'll be for the Saints. But, Scott, I think it's, I think it's going to be fun. And I think even if Jameis is still Jameis, they're still good. They're, this roster is so good. If they can just stay, get, if they can stay healthy, I think there's a possibility where they win nine or ten games, and we're still arguing if they should keep Jameis. Like, I'm, I'm bullish on this team. I think, I think it's going to be a fun, interesting year, and that's my prediction to you. All the experts, the – the Nick Underhills and the the, the the so-called smart people, they all like, if Jameis, it'll be an easy decision. It, we'll know, and it'll be, we'll know whether the Saints keep him or not. It's not going to be hard. It'll yeah. be obvious. I'm yeah. I'm on the train, like, I don't think it's going to be obvious. Yeah. I think the Saints are going to be 9-8, and 10-7, and seven, and he's going to be bumpy and inconsistent and still kind of Jameis. But what do you do if they go 10-7, and seven, squeak into the playoffs, and Jameis is red hot for three weeks, and they almost get to the Super Bowl. What do you do then? Like, I think it's going to be really, really hard, and Saints Twitter is going to have blood in the streets because we're going to be screaming at each other about what to do with Jameis. No doubt, man. Blood in the water. It's going to be a shark fest. <laughs> Ralph Malbro has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter. At Saints Forecast is the handle. Subscribe to the Saints Happy Hour podcast if you haven't already. Available on all your um podcasting platforms uh you'll probably enjoy it if you do become a patreon ralph's gonna take a pie to the face at some point i believe right i you know you say pie to the face if you guys reach a certain number of patreons but everyone just assumes and i'm sure you do like you know just like some kind of sweet pie like no it needs to be like kind of like lukewarm like like a like a, like a chicken pot pie or something like something well, you would we were not thinking, want on it we were thinking about because our 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 listeners got so mad at us because we talked about the ras score you know the draft oh yeah the, the measurements for the players so if i get a when i get a pie to the face it'll be a raspberry <laughs> pie fitting that's what it that's fitting. what it's going to be because we, we talked about rash so much our patrons wanted to wanted to wanted to throw Dave off a bridge because he, he hated Raz so much and we talked about it endlessly. So if, when I get a pie to the face, it will be a raspberry pie. But that's a good point. Maybe it needs to be like lukewarm or cold or we need to figure out we need to figure out maximum embarrassment and shame for me regarding the pie. Absolutely. But once we get there, we'll, we'll we'll figure that out. I'll come on your show where we can we can discuss it. Uh, I'm all for maximum humiliation for me. That's fine. I, I enjoy that. I, I get that on I get that on the TV every week. The Channel Four does. Yes, I enjoy it as well. Ralph Palbro has been <laughs> our guest. Ralph, appreciate the time and all the.